Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I have some good news for you. The hottest take. It's back. Oh, yeah. Monday through Thursday, four times a week, you hear from me, Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy, Mallory Rubin, Wazdeen Lambrey, Van Lathan, Julie Lippman, many other ringer staffers. You get one take, you got to defend it to the death. Sports takes, pop culture takes, food takes, airplane takes. Oh, yeah. It's coming back. First episode drops August 29th. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We are recording Saturday evening right after the Celtics beat the Hawks in game one of their series. The boss, Bill Simmons, is going to join us in just a couple of minutes here. We'll recap the game, maybe even get into some Red Sox and Bruins with him. Plus, Lam McHugh from the NHL on TNT is going to join us. We're going to preview the Bees Panther series with Lamb. So coming up next, you'll hear from Bill. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Joining us now after a dominant Celtics win, it is the boss, Bill Simmons. Bill, how are you, man? Um, You know, typical Celts game. We saw the whole gamut. I'm glad America <laughs> got to see it. The ceiling. We got to see the basement. Um, You got to see what we went through all year. This team is really, really good. They look awesome. And they let up. Other team climbs back. You start all of a sudden, your sphincter starts tightening. It was just, it was everything, right? That was the last six months in one game. Yeah, I don't know what that is, like the fourth quarter and a good portion of the third quarter too. It's like for some reason, the Celtics just, they've done this to your point all season long. They're 24th or excuse me, 25th in pace in the fourth quarter. And it's like they get this big lead and they just stop playing. I understand there's going to be a little bit of a letdown when you go into halftime with a 30 point lead. But the fact that they just, almost let Atlanta back in the game. I mean, they cut it to 12 points at one point. It is a little bit scary to see that they can just all of a sudden stop playing. I, I and, and I know like they won game one. I'm happy they won game one, but it yeah. is something, it is a trend that we've seen all season long with this team. And it is kind of annoying at times. You can feel it at the beginning of the third quarter. And of course, as, as usual, I was sitting on my couch calling, call timeout, Joe, call timeout, Joe. When they had <laughs> the Hawks had that eight, nothing run. They scored the first four, and it was like, we look flat. Call timeout. Nope. Come back down. Miss. Uh, they come down, score again. 6-0 run. No timeout. Come back down, score. Come back down again. Miss. And it it's just what we've seen all year. They There's a couple things that happen. One, we stop driving to the basket. It's almost like guys go into self-preservation mode. They don't want to get hurt. Um, 
Marcus will have he you know he had his typical really super weird game, and it's weird to hear the announcers <laughs> kind of raving about him when it's like he he literally shot Atlanta back into the game in the fourth yeah. quarter and Mass had to take him out. Um, but then he'll make two defensive plays, and you're like, oh, it was a good Marcus game. It's like that was not a good Marcus game. Um, I think from 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 an if you're talking like pluses. It's just a great matchup for them. Like they, like Trey yeah. was in a torture chamber in that game. He was awful. He didn't shoot it well. But also, like, what are they going to do? We have five guys that we can throw on him. And I thought the Hawks looked the best when he wasn't out there. What did you think? Yeah, exactly. I thought the same thing. Like, when they were playing more through DeJounte Murray, that's when they were at their best there. That's when they actually made the run. And it did feel like Quinn Snyder was... He had him up there at the getting ready to check in, and he was kind of looking at him like, uh, I don't know, should I put him back in? And it took him a little while to get Trey With like back in. like three minutes left. Yeah, yeah. It's like at this point, the game's over. Don't even put him back in. <laughs> yeah. I, it was, you know, it was very our friend we- Perk. Oh, oh, I was going to say, our friend Perk had a tweet about like, what do the Hawks do? There's no adjustments. You just show a beating heart for an hour, and those are your adjustments. I'm like, there actually is one adjustment. Like, I'll be very interested to see. If they go with that Murray Bogdanovich, Sadiq Bay, and either Collins in a big or both bigs, something like that, I think that's a harder lineup for Boston to defend. I think Murray's Murray's always done well against the Celtics. Bay has always done well against the Celtics. Bogdanovich has always done well against the Celtics. And maybe they start gravitating toward that. Look at the Trey line today. Trey was five for eighteen. Is that what that says? Yeah. Five for 18. Yeah. And he had five turnovers and it felt worse. Didn't yeah. It? He was, and he uh, was the, he was the worst on the team in plus or minus. He was a minus 14 and it felt that way. It felt like he was destructive. It feels like too, Bill, the way that that Hawks team plays when he's on the court, it's just, it's all about him, right? He just has the yeah. ball the entire time. It reminds me sort of of like James Harden in Houston, where he's just dominating everything that they do. And I have to imagine at some point that's frustrating for the guy's that are around him. But to the point on just this matchup being really good for the Celtics, like we saw it early in this game. DeAndre Hunter has Jason Tatum and Tatum had a quick eight points and he was just going through him. And then the other portion of this is if DeAndre Hunter is going to cover Tatum, they have nobody for Jalen. Like at points, they were having John Collins on him. That's not going to work. And if they go with a smaller player, we saw some Murray on Jalen and that's not going to work either. Jalen just went right through him. I did find it funny that at one point Jalen was like, shaking out his hand this is like in the first half he dunked like crazy and then he was shaking his hand when he lost the ball so I'm not really concerned about the hand I think that was more about the turnover than anything else and the other component too wait hold on on the Jalen's hand thing my dad was at the game today he said it's like a pretty noticeable bandage in person on Jalen's hand like it's not like a it's not like something you can't see from 20 feet away in the stand so I don't I were you prepared for this hand thing to be as much of a of a story as it was a game one? I, I was under the impression he had some stitches. They're going to take him out. He'll be fine. And it's like, he did not look fine. That did not look fine on his hand. I, I freaked out a little bit. Tiny yeah, bit. Yeah, and they said on the ESPN broadcast, I don't know if you're watching the ESPN or the NBC Sports Boston, but on the ESPN broadcast, they were saying that he says it hurts. So, I mean, he got the stitches out and the cut still hurts. So is it fully healed? Like, it's something to keep your eye on, but... Clearly, it well, didn't he did really... have 29 points, so yeah, it didn't, we, can't, we can't fret too much about it. <laughs> I know, it didn't really affect him on the court. Another thing that jumped out to me, Bill, was just the fact that, man, it's nice to have this version of Derek White. Like, he hits oh the God. four threes and a couple of them of the pull-up variety. And remember last year, it was just, 
it was so difficult at times to watch the guy play because he fell into this thing where sometimes he just wouldn't shoot. He was scared to shoot. And I do think that Joe Missoula, like the one guy that he's definitely a better coach for is Derek White. Like Ime, it felt like Derek White was always looking over his shoulder to see if Peyton Pritchard was going to come into the game if he wasn't hitting his threes. And it felt like, hey, if he misses a three, he's coming out. Like you're bringing in Peyton Pritchard or somebody else. And in this game, we saw what we saw all season long from Derek White, that he's confident shooting the basketball. And he ends up with what, 24 and seven and five. I mean, he was absolutely tremendous in this game. And he had that great block on Trey from behind really early on when Trey... Like yeah, guys are two blocks. Yeah, and guys aren't used to it, right? When when you get in front of Derek White, he has this insane ability to be able to block your shot from behind. And he's not a big guy; like he's a he's a small guard, and somehow he's always able to do it. He's just really crafty. So that, like, I know Derek White was on the team last year, but this version of Derek White was not in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, you know how I feel. I he's been the third best player in the team all year. The big victory for me is a Celtic fan, and I know you've been you've been batting this one too. Like, just more Derek White, let's just come to grips with the fact that he's the third best guy on the team, right? Yeah. And Joe Maz just didn't want to do it, and we had that whole <laughs> five-week stretch where he wouldn't play him in fourth quarters. The lineup today was fascinating. They went eight deep. Grant's out. Mm. Grant's out. Grant, yeah. zero minutes. Derek White, 39 minutes. Tatum, 40. Horford, 38, which is not sustainable, and I would not recommend continuing to do that. Uh, Smart 32, Brown 37, and he had foul trouble the first half. And then off the bench, Williams 22, Brogdon 21, Hauser 11. And I think that's going to be the rotation, depending series to series, right? So you go to the Milwaukee series, Hauser's probably out. Grant probably gets maybe 15, 16 minutes in that series. But I, I thought White, the first three quarters, about as well as I've ever seen him play. And, I know. you know, on both ends, I was texting with a couple friends. And I was like, this guy has made 50 decisions in this game, and I agreed with 49 of them on both ends. Like, he ate up Trey Young. He fucking ate him up oh my in the God. first half. He was doing whatever he wanted on the other end. He was setting guys up. He was shooting with confidence, and they kind of couldn't keep him off the floor. But you know, because you're an advanced metrics guy, um, that lineup with, with White and with Smart and with Horford and with Tatum and Brown has been lights out. It's been one of the four best lineups in the league for, you know, I think they're like plus 12 plus 12 and a half, something like that yeah. for the season. And yeah, that was what carried them in the first half. Second half, it got a little iffy. Yeah, and the other thing, like you talk about like all the decisions he made. How about the one where Marcus like turns the ball over, but Derek White gets it. He's near the sideline and he finds Rob. Like Smart's asking for the ball back because he's like trying right. to get his balance. He finds a way to stay inbounds and then he throws up a lob to Robert Williams for like an easy dunk for him. But yeah, the defensive... Well, speaking of stats, how about if they, if they kept stats of the oh no Marcus plays... And he, he started out the game, he had two, right? Where he's just like, <laughs> I'm just going to drive right into Quinn Capella and try to get a foul and end up with an off bounce, whatever. He probably had eight of those today. Uh, the fourth quarter stretch when he just, all of a sudden, it felt like he shot for 10 solid minutes in a row. Um, he was okay, though. I You know, I've, we've been hard on Marcus this year. He was okay. I still don't think he's one of the best five guys on the team. And no, whether they not. come to grips with that or not, as this playoffs goes along... I don't know, but I don't think he is. And and we got to talk about Rob. Oh, my God. Rob was absolutely incredible in this game. 
when he came out and he had that block on the rookie there for Atlanta Johnson, I'm, that's when I thought to myself, and look, I thought it down the stretch of the season that he looked more like the Rob that we saw pre-injury last year. I'm not even talking about when he came back this year, but pre-injury Rob last year has that block. And then the other component to it is how about like immediately he's hitting the offensive glass and he slaps one out to get the season extra possession. He had an offensive rebound where he tapped it out and then they threw him back the lob because he was underneath. So it's just, it's a dimension that they don't have. And I, I know I've made this comparison and I've made it on the pod before. It's the Gronk thing where it's like the Patriots, when they have Rob Gronkowski, they're basically unbeatable. Okay, they can win without Rob. We saw them beat, of course, the it's Atlanta Falcons sadly, in the Super Bowl. Sadly, past tense. Yeah. We, and yeah. now it's like, yeah. <laughs> this is a remember when <laughs> conversation, but I, I know what you mean. You're right. Yeah. But with Robert Williams, I feel like when they have that version of Robert Williams, they're basically unbeatable. And it just, I saw a stretch there, Bill, and this is something that you can't really measure, but I saw this stretch in the first quarter of the game where after he blocked that one shot, the Hawks wouldn't go in there. Trey Young got in the paint. And then he just turned around and passed it the other way because he didn't want to take a floater because of the presence of Rob. So that, to me, is a major factor because as much as I say, like, hey, Derek White was not the same guy that he is this year compared to last year, they basically didn't have Rob until the finals, right? And even then, he was hobbling around on one leg. 75%. Yeah, he wasn't the same. And even then— There's three things. It's it's the fear factor. It is the alley-oops around the rim, which we have five guys in this team that are just good at throwing those. And yeah. It's just this added thing that they don't have otherwise, except a little bit with Tatum and Brown. But with Rob, like you actually have to defend it. And then those tap out offensive rebounds that you mentioned. Yeah. That's another thing that this team doesn't really get, like the second chance stuff. So just just if he's only doing those three things, it's such a massive upgrade from anything they had. My thing, I was I tweeted about this. Like when they're up 30, I, I wouldn't even put him back in. Like I really wouldn't. Like he he had a couple today where he went he did the Rob thing where he's doing the high jump into five guys to try to block a shot or you're just he one time he went down it's like oh no get up get up Rob uh, it's just it's such a fucking roller coaster ride with him yeah I heard I heard the pod that you did with your dad last week and you were saying essentially I've never seen a guy that gets hurt so much that puts his body in such compromising positions or right. whatever it is he does he always yeah, you how are you how are you reckless and brittle like. <laughs> It's the worst possible combination, but you know, they, they're going to win this series. They just need to make sure they can get, they need him so badly for the Embiid series. Yeah. Um, this whole thing is like a, let's just get through this. We have good matchups. They're not going to have the balls to sit Trey, which is the thing they need to do. Uh, and if you're a Hawks fan, you're like, well, we only shot five for 29 from three. And we're in the game. They were never in that game. I, I, the Celtics, I thought missed what, 10 to 12 shot, just layups around the basket that yeah. usually you're going to make half of those. They got wide open shots the whole game. Defensively, they they basically dictated really whatever they wanted except for against Murray when Murray started attacking. But other than that, they protected the boards. Like you think that Hawks team that annihilated Miami and the boards, where, where was that today? Because we have way more size and we box out. So uh, it was, I just thought it was discouraging if you're a Hawks fan. Yeah, and Rob comes flying in for rebounds. And that's something that they didn't have, of course, in that series, in that game against Miami. I don't know what happened to Bam in that, but that's a totally different conversation. But just going back to, you mentioned in the defense and they were doing whatever they wanted. I thought it was interesting that like, with Trey Young, they were doing all this stuff where they were just pre-switching, right? So they were like trying to get Rob up on him and then Malcolm Brogdon would just sprint. So 
Going back to earlier this season, we talked about some of the struggles this team had on the defensive side of the floor. It does feel like, and I know they let go of the rope a little bit there in the third and the fourth quarter, but it does feel like they're completely locked in. Like the only time that it was a problem defensively is when he was able to get that Hauser matchup. So I am interested too, going back to something you mentioned at the top about the Grant dynamic here, because we did see them seeking out Hauser a little bit. And I am interested to see. Yeah, but how does how does that go when these teams seek out Hauser? Rasilla and yeah. I always text about this because it's Rasilla's favorite thing. He's been challenged by a hundred guys this season who are like, oh cool, Sam Hauser's on me. I'm just gonna get a layup. And he stays in front of them. He's yeah. actually like pretty good when when he gets put on an island. He's not bad. Yeah, he's not bad in it. And the other component is it like messes up your offense. Like you just stop running offense, right? It's like your whole offense is, hey, let's go at this Sam Hauser guy. That's all they do. But my point is, well, just the flip like, side of that is Mar- is Marcus going at Trey Young. It's like I got Trey Young on me. It's like no, oh. no, Marcus, give it give it to Jason Tatum. He's averaging thirty points a game. Go the other <laughs> way. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I know he do- he does love to do that. Like even late in the game, he had a couple of those isolation possessions. They're like Marcus, just get off the ball, man. Get rid of the ball. I don't know what the hell <laughs> just, he's doing. Just pass. And, th- and then he'll make those two plays. Like he made the great defensive plays at the end of the game, the one that they challenged, and they of course overturned it. He'll make a play like that, and you're like, oh, this is Marcus Smart, like the playoff version of Smart, and it just, it's, we've been going through this for years. It's a dumb decision and then an incredible play. Like, Do I've they never need s- to make a sign that just to remind him that Tatum and Brown averaged 56.7 points a game together this year? They should just show it to him every 10 minutes. Hey, just in case you forgot. <laughs> they should like, you know how they give the stat sheets out sometimes? They should give Marcus, just give him those stats that Jason Tatum just and 56.7. This is what those two guys average. Just yeah. just in case you forgot for just two seconds. Just give him what they had for the season. Oh, my, my concern, though, with the Grant thing is, and look, yeah. if you go back to the start of February, he's below league average shooting threes. He's at 35.7%. He hasn't shot. I know they talked a lot about, and he's talked about, like, the elbow issue. Whatever it is, he hasn't been shooting the ball well. And there was a point, remember, where it's just like out of the rotation for a couple of games and Hauser was playing over from them. My concern is, and he does seem like a really good teammate and everybody likes him, but you are going to need him, right? We know if you get to ultimately the conference finals, you need him in that matchup against Giannis. So can you just have this guy like not playing for a whole series against the Hawks? And we'll see how much I, I would assume in a Philly series, he would get more playing time. But I just wonder if, okay, Hauser, there's going to be a lot of series that he can't play in, or there's going to be times where he can't play. I just wonder if they should work Grant into the series a little bit, just so at least build up some confidence entering the next couple of series, because I do feel like it's really weird. Like, I don't think Grant's is a great player. I would not be paying him $20 million per season. Like it appears he wants, remember he passed on that contract in the off season, but he does have like a very specific role on this team. Like I remember growing up in the early 2000s and all these teams would have like these random big centers just to like get six fouls on Shaq, right? Like that's what teams right. used to do. Grant's got this like very specific role. Hey, he may be like the best guy in the NBA covering Giannis, which is like remarkable to say because there's other games where he shouldn't even be playing for the Celtics. So it's just a really weird spot that Missoula's in with this whole Grant situation. I'm with you. On the other hand, I think they want to see what they have with Hauser long term. Right, because it's one thing when you're playing, you know, Houston at home or something, where you're, or whatever the garbage time matchup is, or you're playing a tanking team, you're playing Detroit, whoever, and he looks good. We haven't really seen him do it in the playoffs. We haven't seen him do it with stakes. And I'd rather find out at home when he's probably the most confident with the fans in a game like this. Let's see it. What do we got here? Now, yeah. he, I didn't think he shot the ball well today. Um, with Grant, you kind of know what you have, and he hasn't shot the three all year. 
You know, he hasn't done as well as he did last year just as an offensive threat. I think teams are okay giving him the open shot. Hauser, they can't. Hauser, they have to come out on him. So I'm with you. They need him for the Milwaukee series. There's a little gamesmanship with with Grant, though, that I think's been smart. Like, he, we know that he probably wanted, like, 80 for four. And the Celts were probably thinking 50 for four, right? So it was a pretty big chasm. They tabled it. He's not getting 80 for four. That's out the yeah. window. Maybe he's looking at three for 40 now, three for 35, something like that. And maybe he's leaving. Maybe it'll be a sign and trade, whatever. Um, but however they played this, even if I feel bad for him, because I think he probably should have grabbed that, that deal when it was sitting there, they've turned him into less of an asset. He's also yeah. turned himself into less of an asset. But the, the, you know, if you had said, if we, if you and I talked about this in June, and I said, round one of the playoffs next year, Grant Williams would be a healthy scratch in game one. We would have said no fucking way. Yeah. Because it felt like he was getting better and becoming a bigger part of the team, and it's gone the other way. So, you know, I texted, I know Ruko really well, and I, I sometimes, I'll, when it's a Celtic game, I'll text him some storylines. And I was like, they didn't talk about the Grant thing in the first half. I was like, you guys got to talk about this a little in third quarter. This is kind of a big deal that he's DMPing a playoff game one. And, you know, I think it was. Yeah, it definitely was a big deal. And I remember him saying that essentially, like, because he was high up in the Players Association, that's why he passed on the contract or whatever. Like, he didn't want to take a bad contract because that would be a bad contract for somebody else. Well, it turns out he actually screwed up the other players, too, because he's not going to get the money that he once desired. So we'll see, like, if... But what's the range for him, though? Because you think, like, Herder's, like, 16 a year. Norm Powell's, like, 16 a year. P.J. Tucker was, like you know, 10 a year. So it's somewhere in that group, right? He's like a little better than a role player. But on the other hand, if he's not shooting threes like he did in the first month of the season, first month of the season was amazing. Since then, he was like 30%. And if he's not going to shoot threes, well, he's not going to finish around the basket. He's not that kind of player. He's undersized. You can start picking him apart pretty fast. So I think he made a mistake. Yeah, and I guess like part of the contract will be he gets a million dollars for each game he goes against Giannis. So you'd have to factor in East or West because that's when he makes his money. Other than that, I don't know how really valuable the guy is, unfortunately. I thought at the beginning of the year, it looked like he was taking a step forward. He's actually dribbling the ball a little bit, something we didn't see. But right now, it appears that he screwed himself up with that contract. Oh, I did want to mention Brogdon just because it wasn't a big Brogdon game, Bill. But I think we saw sort of what he brings to the table that they didn't have last year. Right when he comes into the game... Hard drive, dumps it off to Rob for an easy dunk. Next time, hard drive gets to the free throw line. Another hard drive gets to the free throw line. Then he drives, he passes to Rob. So it's like this third dimension of a guy that, hey, he can get his own shot, can create for other people. Because look, Derek White does a nice job of that as well. But he's not really, when Derek White's attacking the basket, he's not going in there to score, right? He's usually going in there to distribute. And I do feel like there's going to be times, not in this series in particular against Atlanta, I don't think he needs to have a huge series against Atlanta because the Celtics, I mean, I would be shocked if, I, I mean, I really think at this point they're going to sweep the series considering that I, I think that they yeah. realize, well, I mean, look, it's tough. I get it. Yeah. It's tough to sweep, but I just think. Don't, don't underestimate NBA officials. Oh, it's a good point. I mean, seriously, <laughs> you can't. Because yeah. the weakness on this team is the the two fouls in the first five minutes against Tatum. And, you know, they, it's. Yeah, and you're you in Atlanta. Trey Trey is a hard guy to officiate. There's a couple today where he does that thing. They were kind of letting Trey go by him and then trying to block him from behind. And sometimes he'll just lurch into guys. So I don't 
It, I thought it was going to be five because I thought maybe they'd steal a dumb one. Plus this Celtics team, how reliable can you, you know, they could yeah. no show one of those games. That's a good point. I'd be shocked if it went six, though. So, I mean, the gentleman sweep the five seems like a fair thing. But when, yeah, you, go right. fur- when you go further on, you see Philly and you see Milwaukee. That is when Brogdon's going to be important because I do feel like there's going to be times where Jalen or Tatum or both of them don't have it going and you're going to need somebody else to just create their own offense. And the Celtics... Really, they don't have another guy that can do that. As great as Derek White is, I don't want him playing like in isolation. He's better playing off a pick and roll or playing off the ball at times. So I do feel like we saw just like when he immediately came in the game, he plays like at a different pace. He's just like, all right, I'm getting the ball and I'm attacking. He's a quick decision maker as well. So I do feel like that's going to be massive going forward for this team, even if it wasn't huge in tonight's game. I liked how he played. I mean, he was one for six, but I liked all the shots he took. I didn't think he did anything dumb. He didn't have any turnovers. He got to the line four times. I didn't think he was bad. I, I didn't think, you know, he wasn't as good as White was, but he wasn't bad. And I think the big problem, one of the many problems for the Hawks is like Trey and Bogdanovich can't really guard any of those guards, right? So every time Brogdon, White, all those guys are going downhill, if you're the Hawks, you're probably hoping Marcus decides... Here's my game. This is the one where I need 17 shots. You almost want him to be more involved. I think I wrote down the best possible Hawks lineup just during the game that I was the most afraid of. And I think it's Murray with Bay, with Bogdanovich, with that Johnson kid and a Kongu. I think because you get energy and you just... Bay, remember that game? What was that game when Bay had like 48 against the Celtics? Oh, yeah. Like back... Last year? Yeah, he had a big game in his rookie year, too, because remember the whole storyline, like the Celtics could have had him and all that. Yeah, he had some huge games against the Celtics. Yeah, I I like him. Yeah, I wrote wrote down that DeAndre Hunter, this is a Rosillo joke, but uh, he had the classic, I forgot you were out there game, where it's like (laughs) he did something in third quarter and like, DeAndre Hunter, I'm like, DeAndre Hunter's out there? I didn't realize. He just did nothing. Um, It's a weird team. It's it's. You know, it feels like the Murray path for that team makes a lot more sense as a playoff team. And yet they're beholden to Trey. They're beholden to DeAndre Hunter. They're in this weird Capella Congo situation where I don't know what that version is. Then Collins can't hit threes anymore. You just kind of leave them open. So then now what's he if he can't hit threes? Yeah, he's he's a non He's under 30% this year. You see his finger, by the way. It's like a it's like it looks disformed. I don't know what yeah. the hell is going on. They say it's fine, but I don't know what's going on when it comes to that finger. It's pretty pretty ugly but yeah I, I would say that too that that's the scariest Hawks lineup but the problem is they're gonna put Trey Young in the game so I don't the know for them yeah I and yeah it's a massive problem for them that they have Trey Young on their team because it does feel like Murray gets the ball and he's pushing the pace it feels like Trey's gonna do everything at his own pace and from a Celtics perspective it's almost like you'd like Trey to stay on the floor because if you ever get into a position and we didn't see it in this game but and I don't think we will much in the series when you're struggling to score well, you do have that pressure point, right? Where you can say, oh, just bring up Trey in the action and go after yeah. him, right? So from a Celtics angle and all this, it's actually like Trey doesn't really scare me at all. I mean, you look at some of his pull-up numbers this season, he's 32% from three, 38% overall in terms of his pull-up jumpers. I just, and I know in the past, like he's graded out really well in terms of like the impact metrics from an offensive perspective. I just, I don't really fear him as a player. And I, I just keep coming back to the fact that they could have had to deal with Jimmy Butler and Bam, despite how bad they looked it was, for, it just, a, for a series. Well, and, we, and some they would have injured somebody in the Celtics at some point. Lowry would have taken some charge that ended up with a Charlie horse. 
they, you talked about Trey on offense. Like you didn't mention how bad his defense is. Oh, uh, I think the foul rules really changed his effectiveness because that was the hardest thing about him was how hard it was to guard him because he was such a master at lurching into guys. And ever since they changed that, I don't know. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I was thinking today watching this because, uh, you know, my dad's going to this one in game two. But then we also have the Marathon Monday, but then the Bees Monday, and then the Bees Wednesday. What a fucking run. I mean, it's I it's enough to make you not have to think about the fact that the Red Sox have not had a starter get to the sixth inning yet. <laughs> hey, and Otani's What's the record? Oh, God. They have the worst. What's the record? How, what's the record for starting a season and not having a starting pitcher get to the sixth inning? I mean, they're going to break it. It's got to it's got to be close. I can't imagine it's like more than 10 games. Right. So, I mean, the Red Sox are definitely. And, maybe and who would you pick? Who would you pick to be the starter that gets to the sixth inning at gunpoint? Yeah. I mean, I would probably I, I would have said Crawford, but now he's not in the starting rotation anymore. He's now he got sent down to AAA. Now he's in the bullpen. That's a, I would probably pick Hulk, but Hulk the third time through. We've seen that he always struggles like when it comes right. to that. Although he's throwing the ball really well this season. But and yeah, by the way, uh, speaking of that schedule we have coming up, you have Otani pitching against the Sox on Monday too. marathon Monday at 11 o'clock. Otani's pitching. So yeah, Oh, have, my God. Yeah, is that true? Yeah, it's insane. It, as long as they play. I mean, because, you know, the forecast has got a lot of rain in it. But if they play, it's Otani on the mound on Monday. Have you marathon seen him Monday. in person yet? I did. It was when I tell you this, I'm not exaggerating. It's one of the best sporting events I've ever been at. And there was like 30 people at Fenway because it was a day game on a Thursday last year. And he came in, he struck out 11, okay? And he hit a ball off the monster, 119 miles an hour, and he knocked off his number, his own number. He knocked it off of Fenway Park. It was insane. And I cannot believe how big he is. Like, when you see him in person, this guy's back. Like, he looks like a tight end in terms of how wide his shoulders are. Have you seen him in person? I mean, the guy is absolutely incredible. I... I'm trying to think since Pedro has there been a must see when he's in town guy. I, no. I think he might be the first one. Like as yeah. much as I love Ortiz and Manny, I don't feel like they were like drop everything. This guy's in town. So from an American League standpoint, I never felt you know Judge. It's the it's a great story and sixty homers. I get it, but he's not a drop everything. Aaron Judge is in town kind of guy. Yeah, but Otani no. is. Otani's like Otani's here for three days. He's pitching on Tuesday. We have to go get to watch this guy pitch and hit like there's nothing like this this will never probably happen again i know it really is remarkable to actually see it and we'll see maybe the red sox will go after him they, they need some stars on the team they decided hey let's get rid of all the stars like it's a pretty good guy in la there's a pretty good guy in san diego they decided they didn't need the stars anymore maybe they'll say hey otani why don't you come over here and i know like there's the connection right like Brian, yoshida Brian, what are you talking about there's no way this will happen we first of all our shortstops playing in San Diego and our other shortstop is rehabbing in some clinic in Florida. Um, they can't, it, it, they can't even figure out we're on the, the third shortstop we should have out of like the three picks. 
How about the guy who's in San Diego that we could have had two years ago? I, I'm so mad at this Red Sox season. Yeah. They're it, not fun it, to watch. They fucking suck. Um, it's just a constant reminder of how inept everybody is. Dahlback playing shortstop felt like a personal front. That was so weird. Like, honestly, a personal front. Is it, <laughs> really? This is you're gonna do this now? Yeah, he booted a ball in the first inning, and then they had a three-run home run after that. And look, Sale was horrible in that game, too. That's another problem. Sale has been absolutely atrocious. They, everything's bad with him right now. No command. Velocity's down, so he's wow, a problem. who could have guessed? It's too bad there were no red flags before that contract. I know, and I like I hate the press conferences he does now where every game after he's like, yeah, I sucked. One guy sucked, and it was me. It's like, okay, dude, you've said this like 30 times now. Like It's kind of like ringing hall. I don't know what else he's going to say. Like I'm not trying to say like he should be doing something else, but... It's just become a massive issue. And then you look at the fact that they start the season with Kike Hernandez as their shortstop because of the story injury. And Kike was legitimately the most destructive, damaging defensive player in baseball through the first 10 games of the season. The yeah. guy had five errors in nine games. Like, that is nearly impossible to think about the way that that could happen. But here's the good thing, Bill, is we have this run for the Celtics. We have the Bruins run as well. So, like, okay, we had the great run for the Patriots for 20 years. The Red Sox had a yeah. pretty nice run, even though they had a lot of like last place finishes in there. But I mean, they won in 04, they won in 07, 13, 18, which was the best team in franchise history where basically nobody's fun. Which what was had that? some other non World Series years that were fun. Eight was fun. Yeah. Oh, five was fun, even though it didn't turn out right. I mean, they're, they were they're com- really competitive, like 10 of those years, probably. Yeah. So we had that run with the Red Sox and now we get the B's and the C's. So you all in on the on the B's now, too? Yeah, I, I haven't been telling you about it, but I, I've been quietly watching for a couple months. I just like, I feel like a bandwagon guy, but you know, I grew up with them and um, and my dad has been so delighted by it. It's kind of sucked me in. Um, yeah, no, it's a really special team it, and a really unusually fun to watch hockey team that, uh, you know, like just wide open, especially like if it goes to now, now we'll have real overtime, but with these rules, with the uh, the overtime rules, they it's I it felt like they had such an advantage in those games. Whereas, like you know, the old Bruins teams I grew up with, if they ever had situations like that, we would have just gotten annihilated. Um, but no, it's it's fun. I just you know the regular season, the curse of being an awesome regular season team is a real thing in the NHL. So it's hard not you, you always find yourself being like, but the playoffs different animal. You never know in the play, you know, and you just have to keep saying that. Yeah, the good thing is I do feel like they did a pretty good job resting guys down the stretch. Like, they gave Bergeron yeah. time off. Now, Krejci was dealing with an injury down the stretch, but they did a really nice job, and they still broke the record when they were resting all these guys. And that's, like, the biggest shocker to me about them breaking this record. Like, when the Warriors won 73 games, you could see it coming, right? Like, you're like, oh, not yeah. that you would predict it, but you're like, this makes sense. They have the greatest shooter in the history of the NBA. They just won the championship. They got Clay. They got Draymond, the defensive player of the year, and all that. The 07 Patriots, right? It's like, oh, Randy Moss is playing with Tom Brady. Like, oh, this makes sense. They're chasing history. And then you see this Bruins team who are friends at FanDuel, Bill. They had them seventh in the East before the season in terms of odds to win the Stanley Cup, 12th in the NHL. So wow. nobody's like, it's just like, I can't remember like a historic run for a team across any sports landscape when it was this unexpected, right? Like we know Alabama or Georgia is going to go undefeated. Like for this to happen to this Bruins team, it's just, it's absolutely insane. Well, on top of last summer, it was like, do you blow this up or do you try to eke one more kind of semi run out of it? Are guys going to come back? Like it was, it just seemed inconceivable that this was going to be the outcome. Yeah. It's great. This is, I'm older than you. This is what I grew up with. This was the seventies and 
the eighties and through the early nineties where it was like, you get to April and the Bruins and Celtics are playing basically they're alternating days for six weeks, eight weeks, nine weeks. You're hoping to get to 10 weeks, but this was the best. There was nothing better than this. Yeah. So before I let you go, I know you got to get back to watching the NBA here. So yeah. If they finish this job, right, the Bruins, are you going to put them up there with like the 86 Celtics? Because, I mean, history's on their side. Uh, to me, it's more like the 18 Red Sox. Okay. Where that's the best start to finish Red Sox champion ever. Like, it's not debatable, you know, where they were just, they were always the best team that season. Um, you know, little, some brief challenges in the playoffs, but nothing that made you sweat too much. It. I would say the difference is the 86 Celtics had um, just Hall of Fame, all-time Pantheon guys, you know, right. and from a Bruins standpoint, although Pasta as a score, at least for this generation, is way up there, and Bergeron, I think, in the Boston Pantheon's up there, um, but I, you know, I don't think, when you're talking about like the 10, 11, 12 greatest players of all time, I don't, I don't think this team has any of them. You know, yeah. so I think that's the difference. And I think that, you know, that was the same thing with the 2018 Red Sox. As great as that team was, they felt young. They just, they they felt like the advanced metrics thing. They had just cracked the code. They stayed healthy. Um, and it just felt like the start of something really special, which was so funny how it played out, or it was actually the end of something special. Yeah, um, and that, that leadoff guy, he was pretty good. The guy, number 50, that hit leadoff for that team. I think he yeah, like whatever three. happened to that guy? Is he still in the majors? <laughs> I think he I think he caught on some. I know he I mean he may went to indie ball for a year, but I think he's back in the major league. So that I mean that guy remember was Remember really when good. we had him and we had that guy, I can't remember his name, and then Bogarts and and Devers and Ben and and it just all seemed the future was just seemed so bright. I know. It seemed like really? they had like a pathway to be great for like a number of years, obviously. That's not I do the case. I will say I do like the Yoshido at bats. Oh, they're fun. He spits yeah, on everything. Yeah, they're just really good. He's just, the pitcher does, you can tell the pitchers are like, ah, fuck this guy. Um, and so that part's been fun. I still enjoy Verdugo, the 10% return on the bets trade, but I still actually enjoy having him around. Um, and and that's we're close to it with highlights of the uh, of the Red Sox season. Yeah, so Verdugo's having a great season. but the- This Celtics-Bruins thing is fantastic for them. They're not Unreal. even on the map. And and then we have some Belichick craft, Belichick craft tension. The draft, like the Red Sox, they they could lose by ten runs every day, and they would be the fourth talking point. It wouldn't matter. Yeah, you think the Sox will start like calling up some of the papers and saying, or calling like the news stations, hey, uh, we got this on Bill and Kraft. If you want it, like they're the sources <laughs> providing oh information on Kraft. I mean, I'm amazed nobody's written the column yet or the the giant feature about it. It's like the biggest whisper thing happening right now about Belichick versus Kraft. How's this going to end? Not even how's this going to play out. How's this going to end? So, it's, it's like, and then anyway. you throw Mac into all this too. Like Mac's in the middle of it all, right? Like we <laughs> crash out here at the owners' meeting saying Meek Mill's texting him about Lamar. If I'm Mac, I'm like, wait, what? What? And I'm not defending Mac. I thought he had a horrible year, but Mac's going to be like, wait, hold on. So, so now the owner is thinking about trading for Lamar. It's just crazy. I wish they would, but anyway. I'm I'm with you too, man. I, why not? I mean, this guy's an unbelievable talent. You're not lifting up this roster with Mac Jones. Lamar could do it. The day after the draft, the day after the draft, I would make the move and sacrifice the two future first. Especially if I'm Belichick. What do I care? I'm probably not gonna be here in two years, right? What do I care about the 2025 first round pick? Like I could get Lamar Jackson. Yeah, and who gets you to Shula quicker, Lamar or Mac Jones? Right? Exactly. I mean, all right, that's the boss, Bill Simmons. Bill, thanks so much for hopping on after the game, man. My pleasure. Good to see you.
It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now from the NHL on TNT, it is Lam McHugh. Lam, thanks so much for coming back on, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. This is, uh, this is it. Best time of the year. Goosebumps going. Uh, I'm, I'm so pumped and, uh, it's great to talk to you as well. Cause it's busy up in Boston. I'm sure, man. Yeah. And ordinarily I'd say like, oh, I'm so happy the playoffs are here, which I am. But at the same time, like the regular season was so historic for the Bruins. It's not one of these things like, you know, in the NBA, we're waiting so long, just get to the postseason. for the Bruins. They were chasing history all season long, but I am excited for the postseason. But before we get into the most important stuff here, Brad Marchand wins Mr. TNT. So does that mean that he's passed Wayne Gretzky on the all-time list? I saw that video circulating on Twitter. It's uh, it's debatable. I'll put it that way. Uh, <laughs> you know, listen, he has won, he's won the only award in hockey, I think, that Wayne Gretzky has not won. So uh, right <laughs> away. And, and as we mentioned uh, to Brad when we talked to him, you know, listen, like how many dozens of human beings have won the Hart Trophy? He's the only winner. The only winner of the Mr. TNT Award. So in terms of prestige uh, and exclusivity, he's, he's got a big step on him. But uh, listen, I, I, he was such a good dude, like such a good sport the whole time. And he really is the perfect person for this where it's like who can uh, bring the most to a broadcast, but still at the same time, he's bringing the most to his team. I mean, he's talking to us about not serious stuff in the middle of a historic run and then immediately flipping the switch, going back on the ice and playing Brad Marchand style hockey and uh, there are a few guys that can entertain and be as intense as 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 him uh but he also i think he won it that day at fenway when he did an interview with us after uh the outdoor game and he brought like 19 children from the stands like he was just adopting kids he was like and you could come out to the interview and you now you're part of my family yeah he's awesome so hey before we get into this panthers Bruins series just in terms of the history and i've talked about the wins record and the points record i mean they passed the 76 77 canadians which probably nobody thought was ever going to be done and the wins record that red wings team in the mid 90s and the lightning team in 1819 and you guys have talked about this team all season long and i mean you think about some of the best teams in nhl history the oilers those gretzky teams with messier then you think about some of those islanders teams of course yep. the canadians teams we reference the 91 92 penguins and you had a bunch of those red wings teams that won cups but if the bruins i mean if they end up finishing the job here and win the whole thing and they have the points record and they have the wins record they're going to have a real convincing argument even though they don't have all the hall of famers that all these other teams have just the level of dominance like they they have to have a seat at the table correct if they finish this thing they may have a case for the best team ever even though if you just looked at the roster on paper you wouldn't think that way i think they definitely have a case you can stake your claim as the best single individual season start to finish including the playoffs and the best single season team in nhl history uh and it's funny they may not have like you know, they're going to wind up with a few Hall of Famers. They definitely are. Um, uh, and it may not be the rush of them, but they're going to wind up with a lot of guys whose jerseys are retired, I think. That's that's the difference. And I, I would say, like, I, I look at the Kings 
uh, and their runs, which certainly weren't as dominant during the regular season. But that's a team that's going to retire a bunch of jerseys and maybe only a couple of guys are going to get in the hall. Uh, this is unbelievably impressive because I talked to Keith Yandel and he skated against that lightning team in 18, 19. He said, he's like, it felt like you never got the puck. You just didn't, you chased the game the entire time. It was, he's like, it was embarrassing. Like, you know, you're, it's like you're back in <laughs> QB hockey. You, you're like, you have it. You try to like go up the ice, boom, they take it right back and you're just chasing. Uh, he said, but, uh, there was always this feeling of like, Hey, if we can just, you know, get them in an uncomfortable situation in the playoffs, uh, can they do this? And then obviously they went on to become, you know, a modern dynasty after the loss, which was shocking in the first round. That Red Wings team from the 90s didn't win the cup that year, but of course then went on to win several. Um, I think this Bruins team, you know, from what I've seen and what everyone's told me, it does feel different because it's not always like they're skating past you or just dominating the puck. It's different wins, different nights. And it's sort of like, hey, I don't know how I'm going to get beat, but at the end of the night, I'm not going to win this game. And that's the that's maybe, I guess, the best thing you want to hear if you're a Boston Bruins fan and you're worried about the playoffs, which is playoff games are not always won the same way game to game. And the Boston Bruins know how to win many, many different ways. And I think that should give you a lift as you go in. Well, I think that's really interesting too, right? Because you look at, say, Tyler Bertuzzi, who just came over at the trading deadline. I don't think they make that move if, at the time, Taylor Hall is not hurt. Because, I mean, you gave up a first-round pick, and this guy is a free agent at the end of the season. And the last seven games, he has nine points. And now, when you enter the postseason, and not that they've played a ton together, but you could have a third line now with Coyle, Taylor Hall, a Hart Trophy winner, of course, and Tyler Bertuzzi. And then that second line, you have Pasternak and you have Zaka and you have Krejci and they say that Krejci's going to be fine and ready to go. And then we know on the top line, you have Bergeron and Marshawn and, of course, Jake DeBrusque, who's had his best season now that Jim Montgomery has come in. And I think his speed has really helped. Like they've really struggled when they put some when they tried in the past to put Pasta down on the second line. They've really struggled to find the right guy. And it feels like DeBrusque brings something different than maybe anybody else has in the past. So. Is that the difference right now between the Bruins and the rest of the league, just the depth they've had? I, I think it, it, undoubtedly uh, it's it's the depth. And I, I do believe it's also the leadership in the locker room. Uh, and, you know, Montgomery's a big part of that. you got to be able to let go a little bit and listen to the on-ice leaders. And, you know, he seems to be the perfect guy for that. Uh, he has his direction. He has uh, the message he wants to send, but then he also allows those leaders in the locker room to send their message. But the depth is different. We talked about that perfection line for how many years, right? Yeah. It was like perfection line. And then like, all right, well, what else can we do? And if they split it up, what's going to happen? That's no longer the case. You mentioned Taylor Hall. I mean, how many people have a, you know, a former MVP who's still of prime age at this point playing on the third line? And part of that also has to be like, you have to buy into it. You have to have no ego about it, right? You have to say, I don't care that people say I'm a third liner because it doesn't make a difference because this is a third line that could be any other team's second line. And we're going to win a cup, so it really doesn't matter. Now, does it? And I think that's the mentality you go into it with. Uh, It's a team with no holes. It really is. And uh, we look back at the last few years with those lightning clubs, certainly with Colorado last year, uh, the third line was big. It, it was a game changer for all those teams. And even when the Lightning had to retool that entire third line, that was the big question. And it was also the big save that they made because they went out of the deadline and picked up guys that could come in and play third line minutes who were second line guys on their former team. Or for even Hagel, who was, you know, I think considered by some, he could be like a first line guy, but you can move him up that. You play in first line, play in second. You need guys who are versatile like that. 
Lightning found those guys, and the Boston Bruins have them. They have a bunch of probably second-line guys playing third line uh, and on some teams, first-line guys. But the buy-in is all there. And I think that's what makes this team special right now is, uh, you know, there's a collective ego, but probably not an individual ego. And that's a great thing. Yeah, I've been really impressed with Bertuzzi. I'm not going to pretend I watched every Detroit game, but when I saw it, when he got on the ice, like he just fit in perfectly with this team. So getting into this Florida team, they won the President's Cup trophy last year. We know the offense is really good. We'll get into that. But on the other side of the ice, the goaltending has been a real issue for them. Alex Lyon is a 30-year-old that he started most of his games in the AHL, only 14 starts this season. He had been good for them in this recent stretch until, of course, the game on Thursday night against Carolina. But you also have Bobrovsky, who's a two-time Vesna winner. Ironically, he was the goalie for the Blue Jackets when they knocked off the Lightning when they set that wins record. But he's had a really bad season, 3.07 goals against, 33rd, 901 save percentage, which is... 29th. So what do they do here? I mean, this is a guy that they're paying $10 million per season, but when he came back from the illness, they didn't put him back in the net. It does feel like either way, the Florida Panthers have an issue when it comes to their goaltending, especially entering the series against the Bruins. Yeah, I I think uh, the fact that a few weeks ago, one of my panelists uh, who remain nameless asked me if uh, his name was pronounced Leon. And uh, how is he new? Is he young? And I said, no, it's Lion and he's 30. Uh, Probably (laughs) not a great sign if you're going into the playoffs. Uh, Probably not. Listen, he's been remarkable, but uh, I think there are certain things that are remarkable stories rather than all of a sudden there's a light bulb and everyone's like, well, he's an astonishing goalie. He's he's who he is. Um, You know, he's a journeyman 30-year-old goalie. Uh, Bobrovsky is always at this point like uh such a riddle uh and there's this idea that yes occasionally you can just get a Bobrovsky to come out and all of a sudden he'll be brilliant uh and I go back to that series uh that 18 series against the Lightning people forget like Bobrovsky was a goal away from being pulled in the first game against the Lightning right wow. he gave up three goals it was not happening for him he looked bad and then all of a sudden, second period came out. He made an unreal save at the start of that second period, and the entire series flipped. And for him, it was like, oh, yeah, like I'm a great goal. Like I should just go out there and continue to play this way. Uh, I think there, there is that, that confidence that fluctuates with him. And if you get a high confidence, Bobrowski, uh, you're in a little bit of trouble. But right now, goaltending is an issue. It just is. There's no way around it. And if you're even considering line in a situation like this, uh, you're looking at a major, major advantage for a Boston Bruins team that already has advantages at every other position. And I think that's why if you were a Boston Bruins fan, you were thrilled with how the last week of the season played out because on Monday, the Islanders uh, brought nothing to the table and lost to the Capitals. And it looked like they may miss the playoffs or at best get that uh, second wild card and they'd have to face the Bruins instead. The Islanders get allowed to come back in, win some games. Florida loses their final game. And you don't have to play against Sorokin. And I really believe this. I, I know Omar's going to win the Vezina. I don't think there's a team in the league that leans more heavily on their goalie than the Islanders do. And Sorokin's up to the task. He is a guy who is going to steal at least a game in a, in a playoff series. And I don't think, if you're the Bruins, you want the Islander style and you don't want Sorokin. So I think they, in a way, they got an. It's not going to be easy after first round. I think they're obviously getting through the first round, but uh, they got the easier of those matchups. Yeah, and we've seen it so many times before that a goaltender can just steal the series. So it's def- I thought it was a break for the Bruins, too, because of just how 
bad Florida is from a goaltending position, but also in terms of just their defensive numbers in general have been bad all season long. And it looks like for the Islanders, Barzell's skating on Friday, so he could be back for this thing as well, which obviously that's a, a big thing for Bruins fans, talking about the Bruins not taking him back in 2015 when they took three players before him. But I do agree with you. I think this is a way better matchup for the Bruins than the Islanders would have been. But we talked about the goaltending issues, but if you just look at it in terms of the goals against per 65 on five, the Panthers are 16th. The expected is worse. They're actually 20th. And their penalty kill has been atrocious, 23rd, worst among playoff teams by a wide margin. We mentioned the goaltending's bad. Their personnel back there defensively, I mean, it's not bad. They have Ekblad back there. It's it's not great, but it's not, yeah. like, horrendous. But why have they been so bad defensively? Is it a combination of, like, just the coaching and the players? Like, why, like, this team, they're, <laughs> I mean, all the numbers, they're, like, the worst defensive team in the postseason. It's, it's crazy. It's not good. I think I think goaltending plays a role in it. I, I certainly do. Uh, I don't think they're a strong defensive team. I don't think they're a locked-in defensive system. I would say this, you know, again, the Islanders are a team that played way more of a defensive-minded system than this team does. Uh, listen, I, I don't think we've seen Ekblad the way we've seen him in the past. That, that's a, a big part of it. Uh, Mackenzie Weger was dealt away. Uh, you know, I think that takes a huge chunk of their defense uh, as well. But uh, I, I saw a different bite, I would say, and you still see it occasionally from Florida. And I think you'd actually see it more from their forwards, you know, in terms of like getting into scrums after whistles and – uh, you know, sort of ugling up the game or, or being able to or putting other teams, you know, in a bad position in terms of making a bad decision or losing discipline. I saw that in the past with Florida, and maybe that'll ramp up for the playoffs, but I don't see it from them defensively. Uh, I don't know if I see the edge the way I see it. I saw it in the years past. I think that's a big part of it. It's also just, listen, it's it's new coach, new system, uh, a few new players, and a down, uh, listen, Ekblad's still a great player, but not a great year. And then in the end, let's let's be honest, Goaltending cleans up so much, right? Like, you know, there are odors that it covers constantly. And at the end, we're like, wow, that whole system seemed to work out. And goalie's probably <laughs> exhausted. He's like, oh, you know, he'll probably walk with a limp for the rest of his life because his hips are destroyed. Uh, and they're not getting that. So uh, I don't think you want to play wide open hockey with the Bruins. I don't think you want to really want to play any style with the Bruins. But I would say this. Them having a weak penalty kill is probably, again, the best thing that could happen to the Bruins. Because if there is one thing that I would say does bother me a little bit with the Bruins is the power play right now. Hasn't been great. Certainly hasn't been great second half of the season, which is odd because it just should be. Like with the yeah. players they have, it should be great. Uh, but I wouldn't want to roll into a playoffs with a power play that is stalling because I will say this, we did see it with Florida last year where they had high skill, top tier players on that power play and it went dry. And it was, I mean, to the point where, like, they couldn't complete passes. I don't think that happens to the Bruins, but you don't want to lose your confidence there. So maybe this is, maybe this becomes a confidence-building series for the Boston Bruins. Yeah, it's a good point. It could get their power play going. And the one thing that I noticed, it seems like it's the entries. That's where they have the issue is just the entries. So hopefully in this series, maybe they get that thing going because obviously at some point during the postseason, it's going to have to click. And I agree with you. It doesn't really make sense with all the weapons they have in terms of Pasta and Bergeron and Martian and all these guys. You can put Zaka out there if you want and Krejci and Bertuzzi and now Taylor Hall's back. Like it, it just doesn't make sense because they're so good on five on five. It doesn't really add up that the power play has been bad. And it, really, it's kind of crazy that it hasn't hurt them, right? I mean, they went on to set all <laughs> these records and their power play was like 31st for like a 27 game span. It's yeah, wild. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because we look at two teams right now that are, are top 10 and I would say all the like major, you know, sort of glory statistical uh, points where it's uh, goals for goals against power play, penalty kill and face off. It's Dallas and it's Toronto and Boston was there for a while and then fell out. And it's all because of that power play. It, it makes very little sense to me, which I think probably in some ways becomes more frustrating if you're a Boston Bruin or if you're one of the coaches, because you're sitting there and saying like this, we have all the people. Like, I don't, I don't get this. I mean, uh, again, like, I think if you're, you know, if you're the Islanders, if you're, uh, you know, like, I would go like a team like the Kraken that don't have like maybe like top tier skill guys, but, you know, maybe you would sit there and say like, okay, I get it. We need to make up for something in this spot. There's no area of weakness. Like you should be snapping that puck around. Uh, and they should be playing the Globetrotters music behind you during it. And then eventually the puck just <laughs> finds its way into the back of the net and everybody's celebrating. So I guess there is a chance that it will, it'll turn on because you have that top tier talent, but at the end, you just don't want, what you don't want is to be in like a game six and it's all anyone's talking about. You can't feel yeah. the question. You can't go two in a row without someone saying what's wrong with it. Why isn't it working? Because, Oh my God, guys, it's, they get sick real fast of answering that same question. And then they hit the ice. It's all they're thinking about. Yeah. And so just going back to that original thought on the defense for the Florida Panthers, I just feel like in the goaltending, that's where the series will be decided. The Bruins just have such an advantage with how potent their offense has been for the majority of the season. I think the interesting matchup in the series is the Florida offense against the defense of the Bruins, right? Because I mean, Florida, that offense has been potent. We know what Kachuk is doing 109 points this season. He was six and five on five points. The Panthers as a team, six in goals per game. They're also six and five on five goals. Barkov, 78 points in 68 games. And Brandon Montour, 73 points, fifth among defensemen. They've They've actually scored 153 points with him on the ice, which is the most among defensemen, even more than Carlson. So this offense, I mean, just how potent is it? I think it's, uh, I think it's elite. I do. And I, I think it's elite because of, listen, Montour is a revelation this year. Uh, you know, I, you didn't expect that type of offense. You'd expect that type of lift from him. Uh, so that's a huge, huge bonus for this team. He, I think people knew he was good, maybe very good. I don't think they saw those numbers coming. Uh, Barkov, the funny thing is, I think you can make the argument that you could expect more. Um, I, I, you know, Barkov is one of those like world-class type players. Uh, now, granted, he's a two-way player, and he's you know in the mix for the Selkie every year as well. But he is a guy who has talent enough to give you like 35, 40 goals a year and compete for 100 points. I am amazed by what Matthew Kachuk has done this year. Uh, just amazed. Um, he was a guy who got 100 points last year with Calgary, and I thought that's that's so great. And he'll look back on that moment, and he'll treasure his 100-point season, and that'll be it. And he'll grind his way back into what he was doing earlier, and he'll continue that way where he's like touching 30 goals in the 80s, 90s points, and he'll be a great player. And in Florida, his first year is going to be a big adjustment because he's not playing with Gaudreau. Uh, his line was so explosive last year. How's he going to get his points? Uh, he'll still mess with you. He's still going to give you the stinky glove. He's going to put it in your face. He's going to smile at you, chew his mouthpiece, and never put it in his mouth to actually protect his teeth. But he's not going to be a 100-point scorer. He's not going to be a 40-goal scorer. He's just not that guy, and he has completely proven me wrong. Uh, I mean, we, at the beginning of the season, I remember when Tak was still on the show, uh, Rick Tockett, uh, and I think Biz both said that, hey, I look at this Florida team that won the President's Trophy last year, and I know they made the Matthew Kachuk deal, and we like him, but there's zero chance they make the playoffs. I'm not kidding. We were still on the air and Tox phone's buzzing and he's getting texts. 
and it's Matthew Kachuk going, you're an idiot. Just watch. <laughs> Just watch. And he looks up and he's like, you're not going to believe this. And here we are all these months later. And he, in many ways, dragged this team into the playoffs. Uh, he is, he has shocked me. I mean, he is, he is a top tier, top 10 in the league type player now, which I, I did not think I'd be saying about Matthew Kachuk. It sounds like that's kind of like their Marcia in terms of just annoying everybody, talking crap, that oh, type of thing. He's the he's he's got that gift. He was hey, listen, a finalist for Mr. TNT. So uh, you know, <laughs> and and uh, but another guy who told us that Marshan should win, but he's yeah, he's that guy, and he's he's perfect for playoff hockey. I mean, I, the fact that you're gonna have two of those two guys on the ice together at the same time, uh, it, it's just great. Just gonna be two guys just talking trash, smirking at each other, and just annoying everyone constantly. All right. So we know the Bruins, their defense has been great this season. They're first in goals against, of course, they're the best on the penalty kill by like a wide, wide margin. And they can, if they want, play 60 minutes of McAvoy, Lindholm, and Orloff. They could split all those guys up. We've seen Orloff play a little bit with McAvoy, but more so we've seen him play with Clifton. Actually, the numbers with him and Clifton on the ice are actually really, really good. So they could easily do that. So does it feel like this Bruin, like what unit would you take in this game? The Bruins or this series, I should say, the Bruins defense or the offense of the Panthers? I, I still, I, you know, despite what I said, I, like it, it is an elite offense for Florida. I still think the Bruins defense. And I think it's because you can go those three pairings and you could spread it out. Uh, and from, you know, what I've talked to with the guys on the panel, that's what they like as well. And listen, you could change that as you go. And if you need to, you need to adjust and maybe give some guys some heavier minutes. And let's be honest. No one's getting through the playoffs healthy. Like, no team is doing that. It, it is a grind. It is a war of attrition. We see it every year. I mean, Bergeron in 13, but the collapsed lung we found out after. I mean, it, it's it's absurd what these guys go through. Yeah, Chara no, broke but, a jaw yeah, in yeah, 19. I mean, <laughs> yeah, normal, normal stuff that you just play through. Like, no one would go to work. Like, no matter how limited physically your job is, there is not a chance you would go to it if you had any of these ailments or even a hint of them. And these guys are out there playing hockey. Uh, I love, I love them defensively. I think uh, Lindholm is an astonishing, just a wonderful pickup for this team. McAvoy is so nationally underrated, underrated. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because I'm speaking to you from Long Island, New York, and the proud home of one Charlie McAvoy. But uh, I really do believe that. You know, he's he's smooth. He's calm under pressure. I think if he decided he just wanted to be purely an offensive type defenseman. I, you'd be able to see him put up these type of numbers that would rival maybe not a Carlson, but certainly the top tier of defensemen. But a lot of the guys I work with, and Carlson's going to win that Norris Trophy. It, it, there's no doubt in my mind he should win it. I know his team is not very good. And his defensive metrics aren't great. But when you put up a season like he put up, you deserve it. McAvoy should be in the conversation of the next guys. And if he was a finalist, I, I think I'd be okay with that. And But I, I, I just... I believe in the system. I also uh, think you mentioned Bertuzzi. Orlov's transition to this team, it was almost like he was waiting for it, right? Like, it was so smooth. Like, it it was almost as if someone had told him in advance, prepare for this moment because eventually this is where you're going because he hit the ground uh, and he was just seamlessly fit in with the team and took his game up a level, which is a hard thing to do in a moment like that. Uh, and I don't think he did much differently. I just think it was the proper fit. He understood the, the stakes. He likes the expectations, and he's ran, he's run with it. So uh, defensively, 
yeah, I, I don't think you're – it's going to be hard to find teams, although second round against Toronto, we'll see, because that's elite talent as well. It's going to be hard to find teams that offensively I feel better about than I do defensively about Boston. Okay, so with all that being said, if I was going to say, hey, are the Panthers actually going to put a scare into the Bruins? So if I was going to put the line at like five and a half games, would you go Oof. under or over? So basically, is it going to be less than a six-game yeah, series? I, I'd go under. I would, uh, and I say that as someone who sat through, I think, five game sevens in the first round last year, uh, and I, <laughs> I think I told my wife that the, the under was it was going to hit and that I'd be home for a couple of days, uh, and I missed out on that. So uh, I, I do. I think it's, I think it's under. Uh, I think I like what I've seen from this team over the last week as well. Uh, this idea that, and I really felt this way, that the records were there, uh, and we went to Sunday's game against the Flyers, and my thought was, even though they're sitting certain guys, the rest of the guys on the ice, they want the record, but more than that, I think they just want it to be over with. Yeah. They want it done. Don't let it hang over the head. Don't have to push for something as they go. And if the other records come, they come. This one, just get done with. And I think there's a business-type mentality with this team where we have the Panthers, we have a good matchup, let's get this done with, and let's let the Lightning and the Leafs beat each other up. Because we saw those two teams sit a lot of guys and still gloves were on the ice everywhere this week. Fights, scrums, bad blood. Let that go seven. Let those guys be exhausted and let's be ready to go. So I do. I see it. I see it five. Uh, I, I could potentially see a sweep, although I never predict the sweep because it feels like it never happens in this sport. Uh, all of a sudden, Alex Lyon, not Leon, will uh, you know do something <laughs> brilliant. But I, I see. Yeah, I'm going under. Okay, so you, you mentioned Olmark earlier and the fact that he's going to win the Vesna, but he obviously doesn't have the resume of some of these other guys, the Vasilevskis. You mentioned Sorokin earlier, and you look at him, of course, first in save percentage, first in goals against, but the guy backing him up, Swayman, is fourth in both those categories, right? So what percentage chance would you give it that we actually see Swayman in this run? Because this has been like a topic of conversation because the interesting thing, Lamb, is they've been so good in terms of balancing those two guys. But obviously you wouldn't do that in the postseason. It's just crazy, right? You're not just going to like put Swayman in for no reason. It would have to be like Olmark's really bad. So what percent chance would you give it that we actually see Swayman in meaningful action? I'm going to give it a little bit higher. Uh, okay. I'm going to say it's like a 45% chance. I'm not going to wow. give you a 50, but I will say 45% chance. And here's why. Uh, I think this team is built to go to the Stanley Cup final and win. I think if you play that many hockey games, something weird happens. Uh, and it could just be a, a tweak of a grind where uh, you go in there and say, I don't know if I could beat this team the way I feel today. But I, uh, and, you know, I think the cool thing is it looks like, by all accounts, right? Swayman and Allmark have a very good relationship. Yeah. And so I think honesty has to come out there where you say, I'm only at 85, 90%. We need to win. And we're passing the baton. I think it could happen. Uh, I don't know that I see like a, a full collapse, uh, you know, in net where someone has to come in, but I, I think it's more injury related. And we saw it last year with Colorado as well. They needed to do that. It, it's fluky at times. It's a fluky sport. You know, collisions happen. Weird things happen in front of the Nets. Uh, I, I think there's a decent chance. And I also think it's nice that Montgomery can sit there and say, this isn't a panic, uh, and I don't have to put a goalie out there who's at 85 90% because I feel good about Swayman in this situation because of what he's done this year. And if you have that confidence, you feel like you're more, more than happy to take that step and move on. So 
45. God, I feel like I'm talking to myself into a higher percentage here. I may go 50%. I mean, so, Swayman's really yeah. good. So, I yeah, mean, if, he is. He if is. Omar has a couple of tough games, he may say, like, Montgomery may think, oh, maybe he's just tired and we'll get Swayman in there for a couple. The funny thing is, like, he could have a couple of tough games and the Bruins could win them. And yeah. that's, the, you know, and so it's hard to make, you know, a decision based on that. Uh, you go back to, listen, so many of these teams, if your team does not have Andre Vasilevsky, chances are you're going to use more than one goalie. Vasilevsky plays every minute of every game. It's just the way it works. Uh, but if you do not have Vasilevsky, uh, at one point or another, if you're making a run all the way to the Stanley Cup final, you're probably going to use two. All right. And David Pasternak, of course, had by far his best season. And I felt like just the guy is so dangerous. We've seen that in the past. But even the final game against the Canadians, like, there's not a lot to play for. And Pasta's out there doing his thing, scoring at the end of the game there to give the Bruins the win where... At times, it looked like the Bruins like, yeah, we kind of realize this is the final game of the season, but we're too good to lose this game to the Montreal Canadiens, and it's the Canadiens. But what would a cup run do for Pasta in terms of where he ranks in the league? I, I, it helps immensely. This is a sport. Listen, the title helps in every sport in terms of how you rank players, but it, it's uh, far more uh, significant in the NHL than it is in other sports, that championship. Uh, and I think it, it, it boosts him, but I think it's how he plays within the run. And, yeah. you know, uh, and he'll be judged by, uh, he will be judged by goals. He'll be judged by goals. He'll be judged by points. Um, and he'll be judged by how big those goals are, when they come, how clutch they are. I think he's up to it. Uh, I think he's immensely talented. He is easily, for me, one of the three best goal scorers in the world. And I think he's a big player who's built for playoff hockey. And I know there's this theory that right, people are just going to beat him up. It's the playoffs and they'll hit him. Yeah, we say that about a lot of league players. And then they figure it out, uh, right? Connor McDavid, yeah, you're just going to hit him, but you can't catch. Uh, Pasta's a big boy. Who, and what I like about this, and uh, I think it was Colby Armstrong was talking about, Pasta finds space on the ice. He just yeah. has a knack of picking out. He's constantly, he's maybe not flying by you, but he's in motion. And he finds a little area and he parks himself there or does a little drive by and he puts himself in a great position. Uh, Ovechkin, he can plant himself. He's a moose of a man and no one's <laughs> going to get in his way and he's going to hammer a slap shot. Uh, Pasta finds his way through it. Uh, and I think he also has a mentality that's good where he's a competitive guy, but he can also switch that off and be loose. And you need to be able to move on if you're a goal scorer and the goals aren't coming. He, he has that. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it should do a lot. I hope it does do a lot. And we had a big vote. Uh, who is going to win the Hart Trophy runner-up award, which should be an award at this point because yeah. we've known who's going to win the Hart Trophy for a long time. By the way, the Hart Trophy runner-up award, uh, as Keith Yandel has, it's in development right now. It is going to be a trophy of Connor McDavid holding another trophy. And <laughs> you, you get that award. So we would like David Pasternak to win that, mainly because we want to see the trophy. And I want to hear Pasternak's speech, and I want to see what he's wearing at the awards zone. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it is interesting. Like it's it's almost going to be like for him not to win it now going forward. McDavid, that is, it's going to have to be like in the NBA back in the '90s when the voters are like, "All right, we're just going to give this one to Karl Malone. We're not going to give <laughs> this one. We're not going to give this one yeah. to Michael Jordan." So it does kind of suck for Pasta because you're probably right. In most other years, he'd win the Hart Trophy. All right, Lamb, before we let you go here, so the East to me, going back to another NBA analogy, it kind of reminds me of what the West used to be in the NBA when it was so loaded for so many years. So you look at these matchups, you got Tampa and Toronto, you have the Rangers and the Devils, which is just outstanding for so many yeah. reasons. And then you got Carolina and the Islanders. So in those three matchups, where are you leaning with all those series? 
Uh, I'm leaning Islanders against Carolina right now. That's that's my upset pick. I think it's a really good matchup for them. Uh, first off, they avoid the Bruins. Secondly, their goaltending is as good as any team in the league. Uh, and they have a system. And I, I, I'm with you. I think Barzell's going to come back. He's going to play. And the fact that they've been able to wait on this for a while, because I equate him in some ways to Kel McCarr. We saw Kel McCarr return a couple times and then bounce right back, you know, where, all right, we're going to sit him out again. He never looked like McCarr. He never looked like that explosive dynamic skater. And you need that. And Barzell needs that. The Islanders need it. And both Horvat desperately needs it because he needs a wing to create for him. And if they have that, I like them over Carolina. Uh, I'm a, I think it's a seven, I think it's a real chance for a seven game series for that uh, Devils Rangers. I really do. Uh, No pressure. No pressure on the Devils (laughs) at all. Nothing. It's it's so perfect for them. Uh, All the pressure in the world on uh, the Rangers. Yeah. Seventh game, I'm going to start now. I'm going with the goalie who's been there, who's elite. Uh, I think they get best, which again, for some reason, I, I think we'll get Islanders Rangers, which will be a bloodbath. I feel like I'm the only person out there picking Tampa. Uh, everyone has moved on. Biz is planning the parade up in Toronto. I think with all of their government officials at this very moment, it, uh, I, I see a long series there. I don't think necessarily, and I've said this and people have thrown it back in my face, I don't think having home ice advantage if it goes to a game seven is necessarily a great thing for Toronto. I, I think there's double the pressure and everyone's coming back and be, oh, the home records of both of these teams during the season. I don't care that they want a bunch of home games in November. Like it means nothing to me. I care about the pressure in that moment and how the athletes respond to it. And I think the pressure, had they been on the road for a game seven, would actually help Toronto and being at home would hurt them. Uh, I still like Vasilevsky. So until proven otherwise, I'm going with the Lightning and I'm going with Toronto again to lose in that first round. So uh, we'll see. But got either way, I, Boston tears through Florida and then they're looking at the Lightning or potentially the Leafs. My God, bring it on. Just pump it into my veins. Yeah, I'm just rooting for seven games in that Leafs <laughs> series. Like, or the, like whoever wins, the Lightning or the Leafs, just give me seven games. And I'm with the you on the brutally ring. physical series ever. Yeah. Just beat each other up. Beat each yeah. other. And I'm with you on like the Rangers thing. It's interesting, right? Because the Bruins have this pressure because of the records, but the Rangers were so close last year and they got Tarasenko and Kane. It's like, I mean, what happens if you don't finish the job <laughs> this year? It's crazy. Oh, if you lose to the Devils round one now, oh, yeah. I mean, and it's the only time of the year that, like, the back pages in New York will be totally hockey. So you yeah. will be plastered there. There's no escaping it. The whole town's talking about it. It's There's so much pressure on the Rangers, and the Devils can skate in their freebies. All right. I know I said last one, but just real quickly, out of that group, your winners, who would you think is the biggest threat out of that group to the Bruins? Would it be the Rangers? Uh, no, I would still say I, 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 I will go with this, and it's going to come – you know, this probably means the Leafs will sweep the lightning in round one. Uh, but I, I, I still think it's the lightning because yeah. I think it's just, it's another team similar to the Bruins that can win in different ways. And it's a goalie matchup that you don't want to face in the playoffs. So I still sit there. And to me, if the lightning get past the Leafs, they're going to sit there and say, we're going to win the whole thing. And everyone doubted us in that first round. Look, we bounced the Leafs. And now we're not here for a second round exit. We're going to win the entire thing again. Uh, I worry about the lightning uh, top to bottom. So, yeah, that's my team. All right. That is Lammy Q from the NHL on TNT. Lamb, thank you so much for the time, man, and have a great postseason. It's going to be awesome. 
Uh, man, really appreciate it. Always good talking. All right, great stuff there from the boss, of course, Bill Simmons, recapping the Seahawks game one. Enjoy talking socks with Bill as well, because it has not been a great season so far for that team. And great stuff from Lam McHugh on this Bruins-Panthers series coming up on Monday, and I cannot wait to get that started. By the way, it's going to be a huge Monday, of course, Marathon Monday. You got the Red Sox playing against Otani on the mound. It's going to be insane. So, speaking of which, FanDuel's offering a 50% profit boost on any player to hit a home run in the Red Sox-Angels game on Patriots Day. So make sure to put some money on some guys hitting some home runs here. This means that you'll get 50% better odds for any homer, any home run. So one of the guys I'd be looking at in this game, I understand it's Otani on the mound. It's a lefty, so I'd be looking at a righty in this lineup. I'd be looking at Justin Turner to finally hit a home run. Maybe he runs into a fastball. And on the other side of that, how can you not look at Otani? Otani is one of the best players in Major League Baseball and... Last time I saw him, I was chatting with Bill about this earlier. The guy was going nuts as a hitter at Fenway Park as well. So I'd go with Otani and I'd go with Justin Turner in that one. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in at 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. You can email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Srudy for producing this podcast, and we'll talk in a couple of days.